Yeah, uh, your your life has purpose and meaning and whatever you might be going through right now, there's a reason for it. And you can you can pull through this and you can come through it out the other end and there's you have a gift to give the world and you'll find it. Do you need encouragement to turn tragedies into your own triumphant life story? If so, this podcast is for you. Listen to powerful guests who have persevered through challenges so you can gain strength to build your championship life. The host of Professor of Perseverance Podcast, Dr. James Perdue. Hey, hey, come on in again today and thank you for joining us for the Professor of Perseverance Podcast. I am Dr. James Perdue, the Professor of Perseverance. And so today's topic, I mean, we're here to help inspire, motivate, educate, encourage, and provide hope for people that are struggling over whatever is the, our guest. She, 30 years ago, was in a battered women's shelter three times with her three little ones, her three babies, her three children. And that experience has led her to her life's work. That's what I'm talking about. Let's take this uh, tragedy and let's get past it and let's use it to help other people. Today, our guest is Debbie Godfrey. Thank you for being here, Debbie. You're welcome. And thank you for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. And I'm excited to share my story. And we're excited to hear from you. So uh, I talked to you briefly before we got on. I've only experienced one personally, not me, but knowing a family that was in a shelter like you're talking about and not to get so much depth and detail of that. But uh, yeah, I've only experienced one time. So here, this is going to, uh, you know, help me be aware of things as well. So yeah. if you want to hop in, just tell us the, uh, how we, how the story goes and we'll move on from there. Okay, great. Thank you. Yeah. It was 30 years ago, which is a, seems like forever. And I was, Found my, myself. My, grand, my grandfather would go many, <laughs> many moons ago. Many moons ago, that's right. <laughs> back in 1983. That's how my grandfather would do it. All right, go ahead. That's pretty close. <laughs> Actually, yeah, I don't know. Anyway, I was, um, I was married. I had three very small children and I was very young as well. I think I was probably 25 or 26 by the time I had three kids. And I was experiencing some pretty harsh stuff in my relationship. My, my um, now ex-husband, of course, would, you know, chase me, yell at me, call me names, occasionally would kick me in the head, kick me other places. Um, he was pretty devious and most of it, I feel like, was what I later learned is called domestic terrorism, which they're using in a different term now, but that term is also used in the literature around domestic violence. There's a difference between common couple violence, which is both people being a little nutty and violent, and then mm -hmm. domestic terrorism, which is where it's really one-sided. And this definitely was you know, a perpetrator and a victim type of situation, yes. much bigger, stronger. And I had three little kids and was not, I'm not a fighter. Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so you're, the I, old, you're the old thing that's, uh, that they used to talk about boxing. Uh, I'm not a fighter. I'm a lover. There you go. There you go. I mean, that that's not to say I don't have my mischief. And there was definitely things as I 
because, you know, I was in this process of leaving for a year, as you described, I was in that shelter three different times, leaving and coming back and leaving and coming back and, and in therapy that time and, and learning some of the things that I did and that battered women do to actually set off the violence. There's a violence cycle that happens where there's tension that builds, tension that builds, tension that builds. And usually the woman will actually set off the violent incident because that tension is so uncomfortable and so hard to deal with. And once you have a violent episode, it then goes into this honeymoon phase. You know, usually the dude's remorseful and then it's all lovey-dovey and you think everything is good. And then it just keeps going around in this cycle. And so part of my awareness was learning the things that I did. Like I distinctly remember one time I was, we were in the middle of this, you know, tension building phase. And I, and I, I this is hindsight. I, I wasn't thinking it at the time, but I just, took a, there was an ashtray on the counter and I just swiped it off the sink, like knowing that was going to really piss him off. You know? yeah, triggering. Yes. <laughs> and, uh, you know, of course it set it off, you know, you have the incident and then the, and then you get back to the honeymoon phase again. And so there, you know, there was a lot of learning involved, but basically the first time before I went into shelter, it was a series of really serendipitous kind of events. And I, I was um, experiencing a lot of things. I was young. I, I'm pretty well educated. I mean, I have a bachelor's, I was majoring in biochemistry way back then. So, I mean, I'm, I'm fairly intelligent. I'm not your typically what people would see as a battered woman, but I was in a situation, you know, like where I was, where I just felt like I, I couldn't get away from it um, with three kids and, and just too young. And so I had, I read a, there was an article in the paper about, about domestic violence or something like that. And this is, like I said, this is 30 years ago. So this is pre OJ, which I uh -huh. see there was a real distinct difference that happened after the whole OJ thing with public awareness around domestic violence. But this was before that. And, and so I read this article and I saved the number, like somehow something that I read in that article, I was relating to my own experience without really understanding it. And uh, over that holiday season, I actually, we had a, a big fight and he kicked me out of the house and I had to walk like in the dark, in the rain to the gas station. And I actually called the 800 number for the first time from a, from a gas station and that's when my life actually started to change because the person on the other end knew what to say and how to help and what to do. And, and I wasn't ready to leave at that time. It was holiday and all this, but I, we, she helped me make a plan. And so I had a plan and like a few days into the new year, I packed us all up and we went into shelter and, of, you know, the, the counselors helped with figuring all that out and everything. And that started this journey. And I stayed in, for one month, which is the, the time you stay in the first time. And um, I read the book, I think it's called The Battered Women by Lenora Walker. It's a famous classic work about battered women. And it says, you know, battered women take three to seven times leaving before they leave. And of course, I'm straight A student, like, I'm going to make it the first time. Yeah. And I didn't, I failed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, you know, between finances and his remorse and blah, 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 I wound up back with him again very shortly thereafter. Uh, then in April of that year, same thing, had to get out, went into shelter again this week, this time for two weeks. 
came out and he actually started doing some counseling and all this. So this time I did go back to him again. We had like a little grace period for five or six months. And then in August of that year, it blew up again. I left, I was in the shelter three days, had a much more solid plan that time. And that's when I left for good. And so that was my journey. That's what it took. Uh, the process was super painful, super traumatic, you know, for be- myself and my kids. It didn't end there. It was many years of tough times. Um, the court systems were much different than at the time they separated domestic violence from the kid, like kid violence. Now they know in the literature and that the story you were telling me before, um, there is no only abusing the woman, like in abusing the woman, the kids are being abused, whether or not the person physically accosts them or not. They're being abused by watching their mother be victimized. Oh, yeah, I, I believe that. Yes, like um, uh, the, they're hearing it, they're experiencing the emotions, they're witnessing. Right. Yeah, watching, like you said, they don't have to be physically abused. Yeah, there's many of a, a more abuse that goes along with that mentally, and so yeah, I, I, I truly believe that. Yes. Yeah. So he was, you know, he was affected, and as were my my children, and and. But but back then they they separated it. So basically there was it was it was really nutty. I have to tell you that the the one point the judge gave the kids the house. And so when I had them in my custody, I would be at the house. And then when it was his turn, he would come to the house and I would need to leave. And then he would stay in the house with the kids. And every time we had that exchange, I'd have to call the police. I mean, literally, he would come to get the kids and he would trap me in the house and start doing something. And yeah. I, you know, I'd have to call them. It was, it was ridiculous. So it was a long, rough journey. <laughs> and, I, would, and, I would have think that would have been in the court order anyway, to prevent well, it, any it, violence, it, that the police would have to be there to witness whoever's leaving, that there's nothing going on. Yeah, I would have thought it, that would have been there anyway. You, I wouldn't think you would have had to call the police. Yeah, so. no, it was, this was, this was earlier on. And Once again, you're talking 30 years ago. Yeah. Right. And I'm talking pre OJ and that's why my story yeah. changed. Once the whole OJ thing happened, I, I actually got a call from probation. This is like two years later. I'm moved on, you know, we're, we are doing custody and still having things like, can we help you? Like, I'm like, yeah, you would have been great here three years ago. <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> But ultimately, uh, there was one of the exchanges, and and this was this was when the OJ stuff was happening. One of the exchanges we were making, and he he kicked me, and he he made like a little mark on my leg. I mean, it wasn't like death or anything like that, but he made a little mark on my leg. The police were called. My, the neighbors were always calling our police, our the police when we were fighting, and the police call out, and they saw that mark on my leg, and that was the first time they arrested him. And because it was after OJ, I had no say in it. So before that, women always had to testify and press charges or, and most women wouldn't do that. They're too afraid or they love them or whatever. Mm -hmm. And after OJ, the laws changed where it took it out of the woman's hands. So it was out of my hands by the police seeing the mark on me, they were able to press the charges. And that's where it, uh, my story, I'm so very lucky because it ended there. He went to jail. And he decided that I wasn't worth 
him being in jail. Like I was like, he wasn't one of the super crazy ones and he never physically hurt me again. And so he, you know, I was super lucky and because so many women die in, you know, in the after after experience where the, the, the man just won't give up no matter what. So I was fortunate in that. So back to how this all turns out so great. My, the very first stay in the shelter, we had, um, we learned a lot of things, you know, we're obviously we're in a battered women's shelter. There's certain rules. There's certain thing they're, they're trying to teach us. We had a lot of like chores and organization and counseling. And, you know, there was all these rules and regulations. And one of the things is you can't spank your kids. And I'm like, how am I going to discipline them then if I can't do my kids? (laughs) And and it's so funny how it just doesn't connect like violence and spanking and hitting and all that. But there's a connection there. And so, you know, they're like, well, you know, you're in a shelter for violence and we don't allow any violence and hitting kids is violent. And so there's no spanking children in this shelter. And I'm like, well, you're going to have to help me then. And it turns out you get parenting classes when you're in a battered women's shelter. And I loved my parenting class teacher in there. She was a counselor. She would come in, she would teach us these classes. And I loved what I was learning. And one of the other counselors, cause I said, I don't know how I'm going to do this. Like, what if he does this? I've got to spank him. What if she does that? I've got to spank her. And, and they're like coming this one gal, Abby, she's like, come and get me and we'll talk about it. And so the first day it was like seven times. It's like, Abby, you know, she's doing this and this and this, I got to hit her now. She's like, Let's calm down. Let's look at what's going on. Let's try to figure out something else. And every time we would talk about it and she would help me come up with this great discipline idea that didn't involve spanking my child. I'll, you know, it was something that helped them learn, that corrected their behavior, that built their self-esteem. And I was just so fascinated. So that first time I came out, even when I went back home, I got my neighbors together and we had a parenting breakfast club on Saturdays. And I hired Abby to come out and we all chipped in five bucks and we paid Abby to teach us a parenting class. And whoever's house it was at, we'd provide the coffee and donuts and she would teach us some parenting things. So that's kind of where teaching parenting started for me. I made this parenting breakfast club. And then um, a few months later, we took a parenting course together. And one of our little times where we were trying to work it out, he and I signed up for this course and it was a five week class. And he quit after the second week. He's like, I'm not going to that stupid parenting class. (laughs) And that was when I was like, oh my gosh, I am never going to be able to parent the way that I want to parent with this man. Like that was one of my big realizations about that relationship that how it wasn't going to work because I just, he quit. Like he wasn't willing to parent that way or anywhere near it. But I learned so much and I loved what I learned. And once I got out, once I started getting back on my feet, I got a job. I was working as a receptionist at a law firm. I had subsidized childcare. Um, I was, you know, barely making it, but I was making it on my own. Uh-huh, yep. And I said, God, just give me work that I love that makes a difference in the world and lets me be home after school for my kids. Like that was my dream was to have flexibility so I could go on field trips and be there after school for my kids. Like that was my image of what I wanted to be as a parent. And so it was a series of events that led to me getting training, teaching the parenting class. And that that's what became my life's work. And so uh, first I got a 
they called me from, I was doing volunteer work for the domestic violence organization and child abuse and neglect. And they called me at one point and they said, how would you like to teach parenting classes and we'll pay you? And I was like, that'd be fun. And they sent us out and paid us like 10 bucks an hour. I paid $8 an hour to somebody to watch the kids and probably the government got the other two, but I loved the work. And so I got trained and I started my business, Positive Parenting in July of 1994. And that's what I've been doing ever since is teaching parenting classes. And it was a direct result of that experience. And so I always look and I always say that the biggest mistake I ever made was marrying my first husband. (laughs) Like like the biggest mistake I ever made was marrying my first husband, but it was also the greatest gift because it, out of it came my life's work. And so, you know, I look back on the experience um, with gratitude, really. I mean, for, for everything that it brought, brought me in the self-awareness and who I became as a parent really was a result of that. Friend of mine, uh, Bird Baggett says, "Don't give up before the blessings." And yes. so again, you went through all that struggle, all them years, and to finally get the blessings, like you said, and your prayer was answered that you're helping other people, and hopefully you got home before they got out of school so you can be with them. I absolutely did. It was great, and you know, the nights that the kids were with their dad, that's when I taught. So I didn't really even have to get a lot of babysitters. It was it was a great way to make a living while I was raising my kids to give me the flexibility that I wanted. Now let's go back a long. Let's go back to many moons ago again. Okay. Now you've been married. You've had your three children. This assaults and everything's going on. All right. Was there, and I've got to believe there was, and this would be hindsight. Yes. There had to have been signals before you got married that he was going to be maybe maybe not abusive, but controlling would be the first issue. And then it led into other things. So looking back, did you realize that, that uh, like I said, hindsight, and then you're going, boy, if I'd have woke up then, I wouldn't be where we wouldn't have to go through all this. Absolutely. I mean, that was that was so much of what counseling provided me, right? Was just these little things. Like the night I met him, I met him at a bar. Like that's got to tell you something, right? Mm-hmm. There you go. <laughs> hey, not and, to mean people in a bar is the worst thing in the world all the time, but you may want to do some more investigating right? sometimes. But, not all yeah. the time, but sometimes. <laughs> And it was a bar that had pictures of people that had met at this bar and gotten married. And then later oh. on, it would have divorced. Like, there it you was, go. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was not good. But, but I met him that night. Um, he, he came up and started talking to me. And he I had a cute little, like, skirt and top on. And he actually put his hand on my rear end. And he's like, oh, nice, or something like that. And I thought, oh, how cute, right? Oh, so yeah. That was that was the event that we talked a lot about in counseling. And my counselor saying, that wasn't cute. That was a violation. Like, that's not okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, huh? Like, you know, that, that wasn't how I had been trained to think, right? Yeah, he, he did not get permission to grab the caboose. <laughs> that's right just took and, it and, I, la- you know, and yeah. I laughed and, and took it as like as a, a compliment. compliment that's right a compliment yes okay yeah I can understand that because uh, both of you are during that time and there's different ways of doing it we're flirting and figuring out each other and so he was pretty much flirting quick to figure out and you were the giggly girl uh, like you said taking this compliment I can understand all that uh, yeah. today though 
some man go up and do that, they're going to get shot. <laughs> and, and and not to say they should get shot, but they definitely should be reprimanded because the yeah, you don't get in in personal spaces uh, like that until you get to know them better and somewhat somehow permissions given, you know, whatever it is. It didn't have to be a verbal contract, but we all know the game to play, which is acceptable and not acceptable. Yeah. yeah and and, uh, and post that experience, Debbie, somebody would do that to me. I would never go out with them like that. That would be like, ooh, stay away from that person. Right. Yeah. That, yeah, yeah. But that wasn't do that you, wasn't. Do you think that maybe, uh, of course, meeting him in the bar and everything like that be pre that. Do you think maybe you had a low self-esteem and low confidence and this was some attention you're getting that's feeling good? Absolutely. Absolutely. I was, yes, that was very much the case. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. Cause uh, uh, I can see that as well. Not to yeah. say a very confident woman wouldn't have took it as the same thing 30 years ago, but yeah, I can see, right. and nobody, I can nobody see if you love us. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah. Nobody looking at me would say, Oh, she lacks confidence or she lacks self-esteem. But when you take everything. And again, this is, you know, some pretty deep work I did in counseling, but, but, you know, looking at my childhood and like how much I was controlled by my father and how much, you know, just how, how my experience was growing up um, led me to being the way that I was and, and yeah. really not feeling that I could say no, or that I could stick up for myself. I mean, I had been under the parent's thumb, you know, for all those years and, didn't ever really experience making decisions like what's right for Debbie. It's either rebel against authority or, you know, cave into authority because I have no choice. So I had, you know, I was feisty, but I, but not, you know, not truly knowing what I needed or yes. what was best for me. So in just meeting you now for the 21 minutes we've been on, plus the three or four before we uh, started here, I would have never thought of you having a uh, low self-esteem or confidence problem the way you're outgoing right now. And, and I'm glad that you found yourself over all those years and over all the counseling. And I'm sorry you had to go through the abuse. But like you said, it may have been a blessing in disguise to get totally. you where you're at today. And so... <laughs> Yeah, but I, I like uh, I don't know if you know, but I'm in a wheelchair. I got my neck broke playing football, and not that I ever wished to, uh, wish it on anybody to get paralyzed. But looking back, I mean, I've had a good life, probably better than I would have had maybe beforehand. Who knows? Uh, to be able to be, to do this podcast to help people get their their plat give a platform for you to get your story out to help no telling how many people out there in the future. And so you know, for me, if if it wasn't for this, you know, I don't know if I would be doing this. And so the, the only thing I regret, and I'm sure, I, I'm sure you would throw a piece of it in, is for me, I, I just wish that my mom and brothers didn't have to go through this with me. Uh, so like similar to you, you you would wish your children didn't have to go through this with yeah. you. To Absolutely. To where you're at today, yeah. Yeah, so. and, and there's still effects of them. I mean, they're, you know, 30, 32, and 36. And, I you know, there's still things that we talk about. And, you know, I can see things where it's like, wow, that was back from when your dad and I used to fight, you know, that some results and, you know, so it's definitely, I, I wish, I mean, so like, I, I trust kind of God, right. That all of our paths are the way they're supposed to be. And, you know, every, we're all, we all do our life and, and we do the best with it. And they have, 
done the best and I've done the best I could to coming out of that, I think was the best thing I ever did for them in terms mm -hmm. of role modeling. Um, you know, the, I did everything the best I could and yeah, it would have been nice had they not had to experience that. And, um, and, and, you know, I mean, I think it wore on me too. Like who would I have been otherwise? Yeah, I wouldn't have this, what I do, but I would have had something else. Who knows what it was? Or mm -hmm. maybe not. Maybe I would have gone down the tubes. Who knows? <laughs> but, know. Well, and again, um, yeah, that uh, I believe one reason we go through some struggle, I didn't say every struggle, but every sometimes when we go through some tragedy, it's it's to teach us how strong we really are. And then we can use all this to help other people. And one reason I believe we're here is to help as many people as we can while we're here. So. And I think that's so true. I, I remember when I got out of this, I was doing, um, I was not really big speaking gigs, but I would speak in front of a panel or I would do an article for the newspaper. Uh, I spoke uh, for our domestic violence task force and some judges and people in the court systems, like as a victim survivor and, and doing that work for me, it was the only thing that made my journey make sense because sometimes having experienced what I experienced, it just, it made no sense to me. Like I'm a smart person. I'm a good person. Like all of that pain and all of that violence and the harm to my children. And sometimes if I wanted to go in the dumps and just like be like, poor me, I, I, I didn't because I, if I could use my story to help somebody else, then it made it seem like there's a purpose here. There's a reason for it. And as long as I'm sharing with others and if somebody else can get some inspiration or hope or, you know, actually calling the hotline, like that's my big thing. Whenever that's somebody it, talks it, to me, it's like, call the that, hotline. Like get that, that little extra courage to yeah. finally dial that number. Yes. Yes. And so just knowing my story may help somebody is that's what keeps me from going into any regrets or dump, you know, being the doldrums about it or any, anything, any self-pity just can go away as long as I keep sharing my story. Now I've done other shows and none of them has used the domestic terrorists, uh, but they'll use uh, domestic assault or relationship abuse I mean, they're using other words, which are really the same thing as what we're talking about. Okay. Now, if other people are coming in, that's that because they're going to read this title that we're going to have on there about uh, abusive relationships or whatever, when I get the title together and, uh, and, and they're going to come in now to another woman. Come in. What advice could you give them to get them on the right path now? Definitely call the 800 number and maybe you can search for the National Domestic Violence Hotline and post it in the show notes because I think more than anything else, that's where there's skilled professionals that know how to talk to a person like me that in that space of fear, unknowing and not wanting to get out. So reaching out, I think the feeling of isolation and the way the abusers isolate you it can make you think you're crazy and make it, you think it's all your fault. And so any way that you can reach out to a safe place is going to be key. Totally They're, key. They are master manipulators. So yeah. They, and the yeah. first thing they want to do, I wouldn't have done this if you wouldn't have knocked Absolutely. that ashtray off on the floor. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. So, um, yeah, so they're, they're a definitely a master manipulator. <laughs> they know what they're looking for. They know how to hunt this down. I mean, they're predators to go after uh, these type of uh, women, you know, yeah. that, uh, that uh, low self-esteem and low confidence, whatever. So, right. all right. So, yeah, so appreciate that uh, to help them. Main thing, and we'll put that number in the show notes. Thank as you. We, as we get going. Yes, we'll put that in there. And so, wow. What, 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 what can, now here's, here's a question I was thinking while you were talking, come back to me. Do or what, or maybe not what, do or uh, maybe not have some type of relationship with the ex-husband now. I mean, because you, you still have the kids or the common denominators, whether they want to go see him or not. Do, do y'all ever talk anymore? Do y'all do? Yeah, this yeah. is actually a super amazing success story. Like I said in the beginning, I I felt, I mean, I literally live my life every day grateful I'm here because he could have killed me back then. There was mm-hmm. so many times where I thought I was going to die. And, and especially when I got out, that's when most women get killed is after they leave. And so I was one of the very lucky ones. We went through five or six years of court battles and this and that and tough times. And then it mellowed out. And then I got remarried. And then it escalated again temporarily. He took me back to court to get more custody and he lost custody because now I was married and the court saw me as stable and gave us gave us more custody. And then he befriended my husband. And then they kind of teamed up. <laughs> uh-huh. and, and so I didn't have to deal with him anymore he could always deal with my husband and we had a good little period there of being able to do the transitions and do everything right for the kids. And here's the kicker. So when my son was 16, we started having some problems with his behavior at home. He was um, excessive computer use and not listening. And, and at one point my husband threw him up against the wall. And at that point I'm like freaking out because, okay, here's violence again and, Mm -hmm. and whatever. And I'm like, we can't have this. We've got to figure something out. We called their dad, my ex, uh-huh. and said, will you help us with this? If we set a boundary that Michael has to not be violent, will you take him in if he chooses not to follow our rule? And he agreed. And so we invited him over. We sat down in a family meeting environment. And basically, my ex saved our butts. So he yeah. was willing to take our son. My son said, yeah, I'll go live with dad. He lasted there three weeks. <laughs> and then he decided to come back home. He's like, I'll follow the rules. So it wasn't all yeah. roses over at dad's. <laughs> there you go. That's right. So, all right, and, so and you, you, you mentioned this earlier that uh, the uh, police took him and arrested him, put, locked him up for a little bit with that mark on your leg. And so you said that was a pretty much an eye opening for him that he wanted no more of that. So he kind of tamed himself around you as much as he could. He did. And we ended up working out things for the kids. So then we were able to do stuff like graduations and school events and hockey and this and that. And then just this summer, one of my daughters got married and we both walked her down the aisle together. It was amazing. And yeah, I just was so proud of myself and of us. And to see 30 years later, like we came this far and, you know, this is not, everybody can't have hope for this. Most of these don't turn out this way. You're right. Yes. You know, I attributed a lot to the work that I did. I mean, I did a huge amount of, of growth and communication work through the work that I learned to do with parenting. And so 
I really feel like I was taking the high road and practicing what I was teaching. And I feel like a lot of, I was able to deflect a lot of that and just grace of God as well, that this could turn out this way. And so, you know, I I don't consider him a friend, like somebody I would call and befriend, but anything involving the kids, I have no problem chatting with him now. All right, good. I'm glad he was able to mature and grow up as well. And so, I mean, did it take uh, just being locked up a little bit there or did he go and seek counseling afterwards? It wasn't so much the counseling. I think it was time and also losing custody that second time when I was married. I think that that mellowed him out more than anything else. The fact that he just, he quit fighting and then stopping having to pay child support. He never liked paying child support. (laughs) There you go. Not not that I have any children, but I think I would have a hard time writing that check too. Yeah. (laughs) Even though I know it's supposed to help the the children, I understand that, but yeah. it would be tough knowing that uh, the wife is spending it on the kids, not me spending it on the kids. Yeah. So, but, but, yeah, I understand all that. Uh, so, all right, well, whew, this has been, I'm glad here it's so successful, but I'm like you, that's probably your success with the ex husband and new husband. And, and did your ex husband, did he ever remarry? No, he never did. He's still alone and um, well, he's probably, probably a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> He's still got time. Maybe he's still growing enough to so we'll see what happens there. But uh, uh, but yeah, I'm sure your success story here is very rare compared to what's really going on out there. Yes, I, I would so, say that. Yes, I would say absolutely. That's it's a very rare experience to have that much violence and be okay thirty years later. Working with other women with your parenting, you're doing everything. Um, you, I'm sure you can tell when a new one comes in how timid they are and and not sure what to do and but, but watching them blossom as they're going through all these courses and their their self esteem's growing it's got to be rewarding. Yeah, and it's just it's something that follows me around. Like I'll be at the grocery store and somebody I don't know will just start telling me about their abuse, you know. <laughs> It's like, that happens to me all the time. Like, I don't know from nowhere. It just, and I just feel like it's, you know, again, it's part of my, um, it's just part of me. It's my life. It's my experience. It's what I carry with me. So I'm there your, for them. Yeah. It's your gift to share now. Yeah. So, yeah. all right. Debbie, appreciate you being on here. Boy, you provided a uh, long, I mean, not a long, but a great, uh, you know, what happened, could happen, go, but how you just, persevered through all this and was able to get the help that you needed. Children was able to get uh, a better environment to grow in and really enjoy listening to this. And I'm really fired up that uh, you're helping other people to help them get out of this situation and make help so they can have a better life. Yeah. And that's what I love about teaching the parenting classes. It's just, you know, we parenting classes, the, the first week they come to my class, we, they think they're going to fix their kids. And they come back the second week and they're like, oh, this is about me, isn't it? <laughs> that's right. That's right. That's right. So, all right, Debbie, hey, if you want to take a minute to uh, get your social media, how people can get hold of you, uh, if they want to uh, maybe consult with you with your parenting. If yeah, you absolutely. To, uh, push all so, that yeah, my website's positiveparenting.com. So it's very easy, positiveparenting.com. And on Instagram, I'm at Positive Parenting Debbie. And I'll, I'll put those in the show notes as well. Okay, so, great. And thank you for being here, man. It's, it's a blessing to hear 
from someone who is a succeed uh, and gotten through again, maybe not the the success that you've had, but at least they've gotten out of the situation and moving, having a better life is 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 just great to hear it. So, yeah. all right, if you you know, David, there's people struggling out there today, and if you could leave us with a positive message to help them get through today, that'd be a blessing in itself. Yeah, uh, your your life has purpose and meaning, and whatever you might be going through right now. There's a reason for it, and you can you can pull through this, and you can come through it out the other end. And there's you have a gift to give the world, and you'll find it. I tell you, I can't remember the woman's name. Maybe it was, I hate to say Patty, but I don't know <laughs> if it was Patty or someone else. I'm sorry if I missed wrong, but <laughs> she had she made a comment, and it just stuck with me ever since she said it. That um, her gift was it was like a, a wrapped in sandpaper. Oh, you know, yeah. <laughs> you know, so, um, you know, to get through all of that with your sandpaper, your thumb, the fingers going through it to finally get to your gift. And yeah. Yes, so there was. A, so yeah. if it, Patty, if it's not you, I'm sorry to the other one. I real research you back and then you <laughs> the correct the next time. So. so don't ever give up. That's the biggest message. Don't ever give up. Just know that around the corner uh, that there's something there. There's something there waiting for you. And it's going to be better than what you Better than what you, as Dave Ramsey would say, better than you deserve. That's so, right. That's all right. Debbie, thank you for being here. Thank you for sharing your That's valuable right. time with us mm -hmm. and providing the uh, inspiration, motivation, some education, some hope. And if there anyone else that's coming in, be sure to share this app. To, you know there's someone that can use this information. Again, you don't have to go through a domestic uh, abuse. You don't have to be a spinal cord injury. But to be the hope of overcoming is there for everybody to share and use. Woo. This has been good. Hey, everybody, do something today, tomorrow, something next week that's going to help you persevere past your paralysis. Thanks for listening to the Professor of Perseverance podcast. For motivation, inspiration, and encouragement. For more information, go to Facebook at Professor of Perseverance. Visit the website at ProfessorofPerseverance.com and view the YouTube channel, Dr. James Perdue, Professor of Perseverance.